You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Mike Pretz, Kat Kalin, Jason Dickinson, and Brian Colt. Drew Estelle from Barrett Solutions. Of course, we welcome back Christian, C-State 21. It's been like a year since he's been on. You got Scott Kinder, who is a former fifth group, just like Drew. And uh, Scott was one of the original crew and kind of took a hiatus for a period of time, and now he's back. And then, of course, we have uh, David Rose uh, joining us this evening. What's cool about this thing is that it started this whole conversation off. It's not just, of course, you, Christian, referring over David and everything uh, for potential opportunity here on the podcast. But uh, David and I jumped on the phone, and we were just kind of, you know, shooting the crap and trying to talk about different things. I was giving him a little bit of my history, which at any rate, he kind of chimed in and and he mentioned about, we started getting on the subject of regret. And it really started with me talking about how the end of my period, as you guys know, was right before 9-11. I mean, literally a month before uh, I separated from the service. And so when 9-11 happened and all the things started going down, there were a lot of folks that actually joined the military. And for me, it was the decision, do I go back in the military? And my family looked at me because I you know, brought it to their attention to say, hey, I'm not sure. And of course, they said, what are you trying to prove? Literally, what do, you, what do you think that you need to accomplish that you haven't already accomplished? But there was that sense of wanting to belong, you know, to be part of the family and back with the group and stuff that was so familiar to me and stuff at that time frame and that camaraderie and team you know, work and everything. And the fact that you train for 20 years for that kind of moment, and then you're not there as well. So you feel bad and a little sense of regret that you're not going to be a part of what you know that your friends and, and fellow teammates are going to be doing. Of course, David started talking about the book that he wrote, No Joy. And I'll let you kind of tee that up, David, about how that came about. And, and I also want to hear about how you and Christian know one another. And did you guys end up serving in recon? I'm always fascinated when I find out that someone got out around the time that you did for exactly the reasons you just said, I I should probably explain that for about two years, I've been a contributing writer for operator as fuck, which is quite a polarizing uh, website and not only the veteran community, but particularly the soft community. And um, I've been one of the two main uh, writers. And it's interesting that on, on a platform, it's like Instagram or, or Facebook, which is, is usually somewhat shallow, how deep the conversations can get at times. The, the topic of regret, people haven't said it, like, I regret this or that. But you see this pattern emerge. And there's a, there's you, you come from a fascinating generation of people that, that did their time. Uh, I mean, I only did uh, an enlistment and some change. You did a full 20. And so you did your time, but then you get out right when, uh, as you said, you basically did baseball practice for 20 years and now it's time to get on the diamond, if you will. And I, 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 a lot of people, um, that I've interacted with have, have mentioned something very similar. And so it got me thinking that there was a book I read in Afghanistan. Well, (laughs) I read pieces of it and it was from one of the founding members of CAG. And one of the reviews had said something to the effect, that much like Ernest Hemingway's stories, all great war novels carry with it a sense of regret um, and whatever that may mean. And then I got to thinking about my own uh, time in the service as well as all of my friends 
whom I'd met while in the Marines that are, are still my best friends today. I live with one now uh, at, at almost 35 years old. I mean, it's, it's a real sense of family. It's just not a, a bumper sticker. And um, there's never been a person who, who I've spoken to after enough beer that doesn't express their own species of regret. It could be got out at the wrong time, was the wrong MOS, deployed to a cold AO, didn't do something while in a hot AO, didn't deploy enough. It just goes on and on and on. I think it's a fascinating topic that maybe it's just the type of personalities we are, that we carry a certain form of idealism that regret, if you want to call it that, is going to manifest itself in some way. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting that topic you you just to jump in here, kind of that topic you are something you mentioned, you know, and that's everybody experiences regret in in some way. You know, we've all known that guy, you know, that was in for two years and they got out. We know that person who's in for 20, 25, and you think they are the epitome of a warfighter. You see them and they're like they've done everything. You know, we got a guy in my unit, and you know, this guy you probably know him. You know, every he's a legend. He's been around for years contracting been on so you know have many deployments you know <clears throat> this guy still has things he wants to do you know and people would kill for those experiences he's been in books he has silver stars and all this stuff everybody there's always something more you can do and no matter who you are whatever your experiences are there's always something more and i think the big thing i was talking to with the guy this weekend is your time of service is a window in this ongoing you know infinite span of you know service and military and war and all the stuff that's happening you're in for a small window so no matter what there's always going to be things before you and there's always going to be things after you to do and when you get out you can always remember no matter when you got out whether you thought you hit the ultimate of your experience there's always something right around the corner you know and for us now you look at the news it's syria well there'll be something after syria you know for the gwat that's the most current thing but there's still going to be something after it so everyone has those regrets i think it's interesting point you bring up no matter how experienced you are no i completely agree with uh what he was saying for me personally i joined the marine corps in 2001 and i got more or less hooked up by my recruiter and ended up as like a water purification specialist for my first four <laughs> years and i i said to myself this is the most worthless job experience ever i wasted four years of my time in the marine corps and so i got out and i started doing college but then I regretted getting out and not pursuing reconnaissance. So at that point, I made the moves to get back in on the reserve side and pursue the reconnaissance career. And I did just that. But it, and even still to this day, like I feel bad for getting out. I still want to be in. I feel like I could be doing more. I could be doing something. And I think it's just what civilians and or especially veterans deal with on a daily basis is wanting to be better than you are because that's kind of instilled in all of us to always push yourself. So then you get out and you're kind of like, I guess I'll put pants on today. I don't know. And, you know, <laughs> you're like, you, you don't have that anymore. You don't have someone banging on your door at zero five. Like, where are you? Why are you not outside? We're going on a 10 mile run. And now you're just sitting here you know, peddling coffee or writing books, you know, no offense, but it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it's the definitely, definitely does not require pants for the ladder. That is, that I can assess. You know, I don't have to wear pants to sell coffee either. So it's great. Like I actually don't have pants on right now. So. <laughs> don't talk about that. <laughs> so, just stay I mean, seated, man. We're good. Stay, stay seated. Just stand up like, Oh, <laughs> and so I mean, I feel daily regret for getting out, not pursuing more. And then you have your friends that are still in 
have friends in different branches of soft and they're doing this and that, this deployment, this training, and they're asking you how your day was and basically you're like, well, I got up and I drank my coffee and I talked to some people on social media and <laughs> I wandered around for a bit and it was a pretty solid day. And the funny thing is, is they're always like, man, that sounds so awesome. I want that life. Stay in. It's a cold world out here. <laughs> so. Dude, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I remember in Iraq, uh, feels like 200 years ago, we were on some patrol at night. And I remember me and my buddy, we sat down on some berm and he just let out a sigh and he goes, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> it's like he's in he's in the height. I mean, we're talking the the, uh, the cowboy days of Iraq in, in a recon platoon, and uh, you know, to hear him say that from someone uh, on the fringes of the military or not in the military at all, it, it makes no sense to them. But it's just it's just seems to be sort of the human condition, you know. I mean, it's. It's, it's a bit bigger, right? Because, like, I would regret joining the Marine Corps had I joined the Marine Corps. So that would be a massive regret had I... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you guys, uh, <laughs> Can we cut him out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I worked five years at MARSOC as a federal civilian, man, so I understand the Marines. I'm a civilian Marine. Uh, no, but, I mean, it's accountability, right? We're, we're all type A dudes, no matter what position you were in. If you were a conventional, you know, whatever, or a soft guy, especially in the soft community, it's accountability. And we have a level of accountability that far exceeds that of our peers. And so we're used to that. And all of a sudden, when you, when you leave that community and you don't have that kind of community, regret starts is, is kind of minute, right? You go like, okay, I, I kind of, I know I left the teens because I'm more time with my family and everybody accepts that, so I'm good. And then you go, well, now they're deploying again. And so I regret that I'm not on that deployment. And then, well, now I regret this and now I regret that. And so it becomes this behemoth of a thing that, just over time starts to weigh on us. And that's, that's one of the transition issues that we all face. And, and I love the topic because we don't address it enough as a community because we're all these pipe hitter dudes that don't want to say, yeah, I, I have regret not doing that. I, I regret leaving. I regret doing this. I regret not taking the walk to go elsewhere. I regret, I regret, I regret because we hold ourselves this level of accountability that just doesn't exist in the civilian world. I think it goes beyond that too. And we were talking offline about how in some cases – People regret losing a buddy on a particular mission that they weren't actually on that mission with and um, that they felt like they could have maybe made things happen differently if they were or maybe they were and they feel like they have a sense of regret that they did something that they believe caused, you know, another life or something of that sense. And so it's not just the transition. It's not just I'm, you know, in a hot and I wish I was somewhere else or I'm in a cold um, and I wish I was in a hot area, hot zone. And I think it goes it's just a sense of regret period that and again maybe it's just like we're talking about it's just inbred in us in the very beginning of our early military stage where they're talking about the teamwork the camaraderie and supporting one another and you feel like you need to have that nucleus around you all the time i think you're right and i would even push it back further is um i think another topic that i personally don't see addressed a lot is who the person was who the man was uh, prior to the military and, and whether it be a genetic thing, a spiritual thing, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I think that, um, the military is a magnet for certain types of personalities. And, and, and with, it's been my experience at least that, um, the more idealistic a person is and they can, they can go extraordinarily high in, in whatever they're passionate about, but it's going to come with some inevitable, uh, 
very low points. And um, I think that that gets amplified once you get in the military, because uh, for many of us, you sort of find your tribe. Yeah. You know, my dad was a Navy career man. I've mentioned about this before in the podcast, spent 23 years in. So I'm sure that he passed on with maybe not even realizing it. Some of the things that, of course, made me who I am, but also the way I think about what you're describing. Maybe he had senses of regret also um, having served in combat in Vietnam and Korea and those types of things that um, I didn't even realize as a, as a kid that I picked up. That's what's awesome, right? Is that we're, we're in an age now that, you know, we, we've done some things and the whole, you know, the World War II guys with the shell shocks and whatever, right? The, the very mention of PTSD through Vietnam into the 80s and the 90s, right? Like PTSD was such a pariah that you couldn't admit to any of that at all. And now we're finally at an age to where we have a voice and we have, not only do we have a voice, but we have a medium through through these podcasts or through social media or through just friends networks and, and other, you know, veteran organizations that we can actually voice uh, a, a concern that we have and you know what you're calling regret about the the people dying on your left and right or whatever or things that you could have done robert i mean that's survivors go right like I, I always get asked all the time you know like oh well you're an sf do you ever regret you know pulling the trigger do you regret this i'm like no i don't regret any of that what i do regret and miss are the guys who didn't come home you know and i regret that their sons and daughters and their wives and spouse, you know, spouses don't have that person in their life anymore because we're a great type A contributing member of society and a productive member of society. So that's my level of regret is that, you know, maybe we didn't do something that could have enabled them to come home. And that's a whole other level, right? That gets not only past regret, but in the guilt and survivor's guilt and all this other stuff. But, you know, the great thing is that we can get on a podcast like this and we can get on with some other pipe hitters and say like, yeah, I regret that, you know, and nobody goes, oh, man, what the what the hell are you talking about? You can't regret anything. You know, you did all your stuff and you did whatever you can say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. And everybody has regrets. And and it's not idiotic to say them out loud anymore. It's not frowned upon. It's actually acceptable to a degree. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, so you talked about the survivor's regret. I was talking with a buddy this past weekend, and uh, I think it's interesting, you know, how long people have been, you know, in a military, in the military, excuse me, their experiences and then what kind of regrets that leads to, you know, then guys who've been around a little bit longer, they have a different type of regrets, you know, and I think the more experiences people have in a certain aspect or, you know, whether it's combat or career progression or opportunities to do things or, you know, diplomas to different countries, whatever it is, you know, they can make sense of those things much better what they can learn what's what they can control what they can't control um so with this guy in particular you know this incident happened you know and he was like i have so much regret and guilt and all this stuff survivors you know guilt or shame and all this these different things you know and it, it came down to hey man that's out of your control you know and he's like that's what the doctors say you know like you couldn't you couldn't do anything about it you know i was like well fuck that doctor he's never done it so screw him you know who's he to tell you that but you know, kind of that, and Tom Spooner says this in Mission 22 and Warrior's Heart, you know, that that warrior's heart, you know, that elder heart, you know, that kind of thing. Like, hey, man, I know that in my experiences, there's probably 19, 20-year-old kids out there that were infantry or not even infantry that have way more combat experience than I do just because it's luck of the draw, man. You don't know what person, what they've been through in the military. Like, there's a story of this dentist, you know, in the, in the Army, and he went to go visit a, you know, a VSP, a village stability platform, for SF team. They got attacked, and this dude's running up ammo to each thing. Who would ever thought a dentist be in the middle of a firefight slaying, you know, Terry Taliban with 240? 
nobody. He didn't sign up for that shit, but you don't know what his experience is. So, you know, exactly. kind of talking to this guy, you know, he, he went on, you know, two patrols before he got hit and got a purple heart and he had to get out of the Marine Corps, you know, and guys in a phenomenal human being, but he's having a hard time with that, you know? So even with like veteran suicide, you know, they view the suicide, suicide rates are a little bit higher with certain personnel that haven't been on as many deployments because they haven't had some experiences to say, Hey man, this is what you can control. This is what you can't. This is what goes into that. So you can learn, Hey, I'm going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I am where my feet are or whatever else goes into it. It's kind of a, the guys you see that as they go on, you know, it's, they're looking for that next thing. You know, their regret is I didn't get, this experience i didn't i didn't go for this or whatever else it was so it's kind of interesting it, that, that flow and how it progresses with different careers and it exacerbates you know. at different levels right like as, as team guys <laughs> you can impact what goes on in your life and what goes on in the life and the guys to your left and right my, my older brother is a west pointer class of 89 and i'm going to be careful how i phrase this but one of his classmates um was like the class leader of west point right honor graduate whatever <laughs> And he was lieutenant colonel on Afghanistan trip, you know, mid 2000s, early 2000s. And he lost through his battalion 20 something guys in Afghanistan yep. through this rotation, you know. And so when I talked to him and, you know, his stellar 20 plus year career as an army officer, you know, beginning in 89 as the honor graduate of a tier one, you know, military academy, like there's nothing you can do. And yet he's almost suicidal because he lives with the regret of, what could I have done better, right? So, I mean, at the higher levels of command, it gets worse and worse, right? Yeah. I mean, we get impacted by the guys that we see and our friends and whatever else, but it's just pervasive throughout every level of this thing, and nobody is impervious to it. And it, one kind of one aspect of that is, you know, if you guys read Stephen Pressfield's Warrior Ethos, right? Like, he splits up, you know, shame-based cultures and guilt-based cultures, and I think it's something that's very hard for, you know, the person who hasn't been in this to understand, but, you know, our, you know, kind of, I'm probably gonna bastardize bastardize this quite a bit, so I'll let you smart fuckers like David, who's written a book, or uh, you know <laughs> Scott, whoever, you know, step in here and step on this quite a bit. But yeah, oh, he's holding up his book, beautiful. Uh, just show that off. So, hey man, I, I wrote two books, so we're good. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah, I got a coloring book I wrote. Uh, so, I ate um, some crayons about an hour ago. Tie it all together. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. on the same page, Kristen. So that shame-based culture versus guilt-based culture. And like they don't understand that, you know, our you know, measures of success or performance or self-worth, you know, or, or that mission accomplishment or whatever it is is based off the guys around us and you know, whether we bring honor or shame to that group. You know, so it's an external thing versus, you know, our internal guilt where we ignore that and go, you know, let me just worry about what I did and internalize on that. And, you know, these guys like that who see this, you know, we view all this. How did the team perform? That is how we we manage that. And, you know, so I think things like that really affect guys even more so, even though it's completely out of their control. It was I should have done this. It's like, dude, you weren't even in the same area. You couldn't have. That's stopped. the worst phrase Could, in history, yeah. man. I should yeah. have done. Oh. Yeah. Horrible. I know, like, you didn't have the opportunity to do anything. You yep. did what your training, you know, told you to do. And this is all that you could have done at that time. You did the right thing. Had it have played out like you thought it would have. You know, like, we think we're going to save the fucking world every time we go out. And I think that's what makes us great. But I also think that it's what tears us down a little bit, especially over time. 
do we do this to ourselves in the military as it relates to the peer pressure and the, you know, in some cases, I mean, we dress each other up and down when you look at the uniform, you know, what we talked about this before the trophy case that you wear or the, you know, scrolls and, and whatever. And so you end up trying to, to analyze somebody's background. And to your point, what you just said, Drew, is that there are some people out there that actually, you don't know what their story is. You don't know. They could have very well been somebody that's seen all, you know, everything that you could ever imagine um, or that you've never experienced yourself, and yet you're trying to size them up. And Yep. It sounds to me like what you're referring to is the sort of the eat our own uh, mentality with, within, these, within, these, within these tribes, within these conventions. And um, I think that that has... Uh, some positive and some negative side effects to, to say it mildly. And, and the positive is that at the end of the day, you're, you're a war fighting asset and there are certain, uh, you have to be efficiency based over everything else. And, um, accountability is, uh, extraordinarily important. But as far as a potential, potential negative side effect, um, and I can only speak for me personally, tying into my, my, my civilian personality that carried into my military enlistment was uh, someone who loved the arts. So you have to imagine someone who is into theater and Edgar Allan Poe and, you know what I mean, being in a recon battalion. Like, like you, you quote a Robert Frost poem at midnight and, uh, uh, with a, a sweating case of Bud Light, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get tombstoned like, you know, yeah, the undertaker, yeah. you know what I mean? So, so, um, you definitely have to put certain aspects of of uh, your or my personality on the shelf uh, at the time because it's just certain things are nurtured in the warfighting community: efficiency, um, accountability, and and other things aren't. Um, and maybe getting out. And something that Scott had said about how we're now at this point where we have these mediums and these platforms to communicate on this level is that that to me may be one of the greatest uh, bullet points of the transition process is letting go of, of that fierce, you know, uh, uh, spear holding bear killing mentality and say, all right, you now have your moment to decompress to, to uh, say what might be um, not normally accepted around the council fires, you know? <laughs> and yet we have that moment and we, we are too proud, stubborn, obstinate, whatever, right. To, to actually, admit to that out loud i mean who, who amongst the group here is wearing a, a kia bracelet right i mean i saw drew i mean i've got i've got mine right i mean you know who doesn't know a dude who didn't come home or whatever right and, and we live in that you know kind of i'm going to honor that memory i'm going to carry it forward i'm going to do whatever you know and, and like you said man i mean like you know joining a tribe and having that community and rising to those expectations the problem isn't meeting those expectations while you're in the military and while you're serving in a in an elite or non-elite or water purification unit right that's that's easy for us because that's what we do the problem that's is job of the core trans- <laughs> hell yeah water purification let's go and no that, that's the de- pure, that is the dependent dichotomous people die <laughs> But, you know, but I'm being, I'm, I'm being dead serious, right? But we, we rise those levels of expectations and then we get out and we go work for, you know, we write books and we do FedEx Kinko's or we work at Starbucks, we deliver coffee, we, we you know, we do whatever, right? Fortune 50, Fortune 10, Fortune 5000, whatever. And we fail to realize that those expectations are different. They're not the same because it's not life or death anymore. And we hold ourselves to the same level of self-accountability 
and you know like well i mean look at the movie like you know thank you for your service and all this other stuff right we go you know well i can't voice an opinion on that because these guys are battle-hardened veterans and i can't critique their you know i can't critique the movie or whatever because this and so we create these false paradigms of these vacuums of we just can't say anything and that's absolutely false right i mean you know i'm definitely robert's known me for years now and i'm, I'm not the guy out there like screaming you know like oh here, woe is me woe is me but at the same time we need to make sure that the people who are suffering the 22 a day and whatever realize that there are resources that they can tap into so the guys we all carry regret and those guys that carry infinitely more levels of regret because of you know lack of preparedness or things that they saw and did or, or whatever right and i'm not putting a pejorative terminology on this but that they have a resource they can tap into that will go yeah man of course i understand you know and, and that's not existed almost ever in history and that's what makes me proud to be part of organizations like mentors because now there's an actual vehicle for people to voice those concerns and realize that they're not they're not pariahs that they're actually it's normal let me uh, pose a question to you guys, if you don't mind. Scott, when you mentioned the false paradigm, what are your thoughts about uh, the presentation, particularly of the GWAT generation, that we've seen in, in books and movies uh, within, let's just say, the past five, ten years? Do you, do you think that, that maybe it creates, and I don't mean to load a question here, but do you think that it, it per also perpetuates a false paradigm? Because me personally, I think it's been a little too squeaky clean. I think it's been a little oh. too politicized, and it doesn't fit uh, the motivations of why a 19-year-old from Iowa may have joined the Army. No, uh, I absolutely agree. I mean, and Robert's shaking his head yes as well. So I saw Thank You for Your Service last weekend, right? And, and good movie, well-acted, well-written, you know. They definitely went through some shit. I'm not in any way blasting the authors of the movie or the experiences that they had. But my concern is that we're now putting massive internal veterans issues on a national platform and we're perpetuating the myth that we're all knuckle draggers with deep emotional depressive issues that are going to impact the civilian communities that we go through. Right. So we have these movies like Lone Survivor right? or not Lone Survivor. I'm sorry, American Sniper. And, you know, we take a, an American legend and we Hollywood you know, Hollywoodize it and put it out in the platforms and say like, oh yeah, you know, like we're all legends, we're all heroes, uh, yay, go us. And then on the other side of the coin, we completely perpetuate the myth that we're all just these absolutely scarred, yes. non-contributing members of society. And that's doing the veteran community a massive disservice. And so whereas it was a decently acted and decent movie, my regret is that it's going to put the veteran community back 10 years as far as acceptance in the civilian transition issues because now on a national level everybody's going like i don't want to hire these dudes that guy was a third infantry guy and his partner blew his head off in a bank and he's all messed up and this and that and whatever right and and we're doing ourselves a disservice by painting ourselves in a negative light all the time well look at christian i mean he's on this podcast he makes coffee and he has no pants on so i mean he's the perfect example of the just you know your your description yeah. there he's kind of no, totally wacko <laughs> Don't hire me, you know. And that's I why I went to work for himself. My guns, and you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we definitely make our. I mean, we're our own worst enemy, and and civilians don't understand it because when something happens, they're like, "Oh yeah, he was a he was a vet. We saw yeah. it coming." You right. know, even though nobody saw it coming, they're like, "Yeah, but he probably had PTSD." And it's like, if you dig into the military career, it's like, well, I don't. He was admin, never deployed. I mean, yeah, you could still have PTSD, but I mean, 
had, I've tried to have this conversation, and and Robert will tell you, like, I'm not I'm not a soft elitist at all, right? I mean, like, to me, if you put on uniform, rose your right hand, and said, "I want to serve my country," like, God bless you. You know, you're part of a select few in the nation that actually have done something. And I don't care if that was whatever the job was, you know, tent repair specialist to rigor to whatever, right? But when you when you go through something as rigorous, from my own experiences as the Q course, and you know, you go through basic training at Airborne School, and you get the Q course, and you do all that, the the perception of what you're going to experience in life are pretty minimized. I mean, all training is realistic. So, but we don't train everybody to that level. So to me, the guy who is a tent repair specialist that has a mortar impact 50 meters from him, he is infinitely less prepared, even though no piece of shrapnel came near him, right? To deal with that drama because, you know, we have a whole society of GI Bill kids that you know, joined the military because they just wanted college credit and they didn't have another pathway to pay for university or whatever. And they are, they are drastically less prepared for the realities of what they face because of the necessities of being in GWAT. And so we have an entire generation that's been at war for longer than any time in our history, right? I mean, we've been at war for 17 years now, and, and it's nonstop, and the toll is massive, and even more so because the survivability on the battlefield because of modern medicine is to such a high level that this, we all come back home to a, a much larger percentage than ever before but 10 years from now the tbis the ptsd issues they're gonna if we think it's taking the toll now in 10 years that toll is going to be three times as large on the international american community as it is you know currently and it's only going to get worse from there i think with a lot of these issues that you know we're talking about and especially the people that are going to listen to this right so you guys brought up we're nationalizing some very serious issues that, you know, have these implications of, hey, guys aren't going to get hired now. They're going to say, hey, of course, it was a vet. He's got PTSD. You know, it's I absolutely fucking hate the fact that in Hollywood or any image that people have of veterans is you're a psychopath, like ultimate warrior, you know, like from back in WCW days. You know what I mean? Like Macho Man Randy Savage type you know, and you're a psycho or you're completely broken, you you can't function, you know, whatever. There's these two extremes. And I think that one of the biggest things is that military is a melting pot. It's representation. It's a representation of our country. Like you have so many different cultures. Like in one of my SF class, I had a Muslim, a black dude, he was Muslim and he ate bacon and drank whiskey. I'm like, you tell me like that dude is just all sorts of effed up all over the place. You know what I mean? Like, but he was a great dude and he sucked at learning Arabic in my Arabic class. Of all the people, he should have got it but he didn't, he sucked at it. But guy was a good dude, you know what I'm saying? Like we have all these different types of people. We have liberal people, we have, you know, not too many of those, we gotta keep those to a bare minimum. But we do have those people in there, you know, so on and so forth, we have all types of people. And then there's, to the, the public, in the movies that are put out or TV shows, there is one or two types of veterans and that's it, you know what I mean? I think what this is, the, one of the issues is, you know, we'd say, hey, we have this platform, we can talk about things, we have something now we can put out there, and, you know, we don't have to keep that wall up, we can talk and work through these things. I think we're absolutely right, but I think the thing to remember is, only with people that fucking deserve it, you know, because, like, the average person doesn't need to hear about this stuff, you know, like, we talked about the Marine Corps and this, like, we need to keep that internal, because our guys are not broken, they're not completely, like, can't do anything, you know, there are serious issues, and we're going to get those guys help, but I think it's important to remember that, hey, we give people who have earned that right to understand us. You know what I'm saying? They are the ones that get to hear about it. We don't just advertise this out. And now we've got this, you know, helpless veteran running the streets claiming to get his free meal at Applebee's, you know, out in Missouri and St. Joe. I say that because, you know, been there. But, uh, hey, 
we get we thanks really for reminding need to me focus. that that's coming up i gotta get yeah that free dinner. Got, that's yeah that is dude we gotta <laughs> starbucks is up. doing free coffee too don't forget about that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. like got chill, that kind of stuff, man. chilies <laughs> too but they have a special <laughs> menu <laughs> <laughs> the kids menu <laughs> so i think like with the warrior mentality like you can still be a warrior and still talk about these things and still address that but understand that difference and who to talk to that about you know what i'm saying and how to present yourself and get that taken care of you're not broken dude no you got issues and we're gonna exactly exactly. you're gonna we're gonna get this fixed there's absolutely resources for it and it's you don't have to live like this but let's not run around and be crybabies about it either and you know what hey here's here's a reality check by the way you if you are broken you're broken because you did something that no civilian peers can even remotely comprehend right like combat's a pretty pretty (laughs) beastly thing and so when when it's not it's not a negative to say like i experienced something that nobody could even comprehend like if it doesn't impact you to some level then you're, you're almost a sociopath but i mean it's how you handle that on the backside and how you internalize it or externalize it and how you move forward and whether or not you can say like you said drew you know yep this is okay to admit out loud you know i can say that because i've experienced things that nobody else has well speaking of sociopaths i um i i it's funny it, we're, we're talking about these Drew, you'd mentioned sort of like two ends of the spectrum as you see it. There's like the psycho killer and then the broken veteran. I've actually experienced it a little bit differently. I have seen um, this uh, nationalistic, squeaky clean, uh, uh, religious, very patriotic archetype of, of, of like the military serviceman and the veteran. And then I do see what the, the broken one as well. Those are, the, those are the, the two ends of the spectrum I've seen. And what I find compelling is what causes this broken veteran image and a a theory that that I've nurtured and has continued to grow is I think a lot of that originates from the civilian population itself and my reason for saying that is a let's call him a, a farmer soul I'm using a term out of my book a farmer soul will not be able to comprehend the motivations of a warrior soul. So we haven't had the clear-cut victories in the GWAT as you would see in, say, World War II. And it seems to me that civilians have had to find a way to justify why we would continuously populate this all-volunteer military and, as Scott said, the longest ongoing war in American history. And when you talk to people about it, they put it in whatever language they, they choose to, but ultimately what we all have in common, everyone talking today, is that they would like to believe that we do it from a position of reluctance, you know, that we don't want to really go out there and hurt anybody. And we know that's not the case. Let's, let's be honest that there is we are active and we we don't just go through these things we put ourselves through these things and and that seems to be a a topic a lot of people don't want to talk about is that i think the reason the broken warrior stigma is so popular is because the alternative is a motivation that our society would probably label sociopathic and it's out of uh, something they know they can't they can't comprehend that because they don't have that internally. And I'm not saying everybody doesn't, but I think the majority of people who are you know writing this script or this certain persona personality that's you know we're inundated with through social media, TV, movies, whatever they the people doing that who have this influence they can't they can't wrap their head around that. You know, whereas yeah, there there isn't much out there that should give you you know a big freedom boner more than shooting a bad guy in the face. You know what I'm saying? But 
having that, you know, adventure that I want to put myself to the test. I want other people to rely on me. I want to go forth and have a higher purpose and fight for my country. I think those things, you know, and we say, I will stand up to that because this is my personal little, you know, non-marijuana induced, you know, spirit quest or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Through life. And we're going to go out here and, and, and do that. You know, something I can look back, the rocking chair test, right? When you're old sitting on a rocking chair, you want to be able to tell your grandkids what you did. You want them to be proud of you. And I think some people just, they don't, they don't get that, you know? And I think it's so foreign that we try to create that sociopath. Like you said, well, if I can't do that, or, or I never thought about that, then they're just crazy, you know? So... You know, it's funny, you think back, though, about your points, thinking back to the time frame of before I went in the service of the Vietnam War era, you know, just coming out of Vietnam and, uh, you know, when you start going into movies like Apocalypse Now, and it wasn't too long after that, later on, Platoon came out, Full Metal Jacket, all these different movies and stuff that were portraying certain uh, stereotypes as well. But in the Cold War era, especially even during Vietnam, the narrative at that point from civilians uh, was more around they couldn't find a job anywhere else. That's the reason why they had to go in. So you had the spectrum of either those guys that are crazy and they're very, you know, psycho, using drugs and everything else type of thing as one spectrum. uh, And having experienced, again, a PTSD that they didn't know how to describe it in that time frame to being the type of person that... The only reason why they went in were people that just couldn't make it out in regular society. So I think this type of thing is constantly portrayed um, over time in different ways. And it has a way of morphing based on the generalities or the uh, the people that are describing it and those types of things. And it's generational, uh, I think, as well, uh, for sure. But um, I think, too, you know, I, I run into folks in getting back to, like, the PTSD and the regrets. I mean, I run into folks that talk about PTSD as a regret. In other words, that's their PTSD. They don't, they don't have a traumatic brain injury or they don't have a problem sleeping and cold sweat at night or something or thinking about their buddy and those types of things or having to take someone else's life. It's regretting not now being in the fight. But they call that their post-traumatic stress. I'm really ingesting. Uh, it's it's fascinating this idea that 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 the spectrum shifts generationally. I've never thought about that until you just said that about the deadbeats that couldn't make it in the uh, corporate world or whatever. How that was something that you saw uh, years ago. And and in I think I think you're right. I think that that you're right. That that there might always be these two opposing archetypes um, per generation as far as what motivates people to join the military, what they do while they're in, and, and uh, how they interact with society when, when they get out. And maybe it's just the charge of, of uh, particularly the GWAT to um, uh, engage people with the, the both archetypes, which I find equally false, the squeaky clean, uh, you know, Boy Scout, no tattoos, marries his high school sweetheart, you know what I mean, for mom, God, and apple butter. And then, of course, the pistol in the mouth broken vet because he heard a mortar go over his hooch that that um there's nuance that's required if, if people really want to engage in the conversation and uh it'll be interesting to see what the next generation what well, those I mean, are robert, robert you started the whole conversation off with you know i mean you got out right before 9 11 and one of your regrets is you know like do i join back up and go in and, and you know and do this thing i've been training for 20 years or do i not right i mean and how many conversations do the three of us have with people, you know, like that their regret is that they didn't go to combat or whatever, that even if they went to combat, you know, that they were uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't want to use the word fob it like, you know, negatively, but they were, they were on the fob and they didn't do anything, you know, and, and their regrets are that they weren't out there, you know, like, like Drew said, shooting guys in the face and whatever. And, you know, and, and I think that's kind of asinine, right? I mean, it's like, again, you served your country, you did your job, like life's too short, you know, YOLO, right? You only live once, like, realize what you did you did what you could you know i mean and and go forward and and you know you served you did your you did your time you served honorably i mean you know if you're not a bo bergdahl then you know at least you can look yourself in the mirror and say like i didn't cause anybody else harm you know and actually getting to your book there no joy i mean what was one of the things that kind of helped you write that and and how does the regret aspect kind of fit in david (laughs) i think no joy based upon the conversation we've had the title no joy might be a little misleading um, it, no joy, many of us know, is actually a, uh, a, a radio term as far as is if you're interacting with fixed wing or something as far as they would go look for a target and it's not there, they'll come back. No <clears> joy. <throat> well, uh, no joy was originally published under another title. And when it got picked up by a big swing and Richard publisher, uh, one thing you learn quick about the soullessness of the publishing industry is they love to cash in on comparable titles. Um, and there's an, a book called uh, No Joy in Mudville. And uh, they wanted, they were asking, hey man, can we, I knew there was going to be some level of compromise. And they were like, we would like to retitle it. Get this, No Joy in Bloodville. <laughs> no way. So I met them in the middle and I was like, okay, well, I like the fact that No Joy is a military term. And it's definitely, um, there's definitely some dark elements in, in the book. Um, that's always what has fascinated me in fiction, uh, in music. Uh, my personal life um, is, has been a roller coaster, and I, I so I under so there is a somber element. So I'm like, okay, I'll go with No Joy, but uh, eventually settled with a uh, more traditional subtitle. Sure as hell wasn't uh, in in Bloodville or whatnot. So I want to make clear that No Joy is not 280 pages of, of uh, regret. In fact, the idea of No Joy coming back to some of these archetypes that we have discussed is that me, this is a very personal moment when somebody says, okay, I want to uh, contribute to the conversation and pretty eternal way. I mean, the book will outlive the author is that what troubled me the most personally, and this is a very individual thing. What, what, what personally got under my skin was a generation of men and women who come from a high divorce rate, an opioid addiction. A lot of them are not religious. Um, a lot of them come from families living paycheck to paycheck. They lied on the moment of truth that MEPS about shoplifting and marijuana and such like that. That that demographic who risked their lives one to five deployments, purple hearts, burns, such like that, that, that they have been portrayed in this very shallow caricature of, again, I call it, I say for mom, God, and apple butter. And, and of course, that's how some people do feel. But I think it's been overrepresented. And my particular demographic of military veteran, uh, I think, uh, with certainty, have been underrepresented. So what about the sex, drugs, rock and roll? What about the barracks stories? What about the atheist kid in platoon in the platoon that says he'll never see the chaplain even when he's covered in blood? We all know him. We've all seen him. There's some worth in presenting these tales as well. I think that it, there was some needed gaps to be filled. So No Joy was essentially going, okay, I'm a punk rock band and I see disco and I don't like disco, so I attack that that music scene. So No Joy was sort of a, an attack to 
aspects of the GWAT narrative that I found a little uh, cheap and insulting. And so I um, put myself on the chopping block and uh, with the permission of some friends, put them slightly on the chopping block. And I wanted to give the most grit, gritty, dirty uh, version of uh, a GWAT enlistment that I could muster. And according to Amazon, that I, 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 the impact is pretty close. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Like, I really just, uh, you know, I want to caveat that, but I really, I don't feel like I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say, guys, Christian and I used to be on this closed Facebook uh, uh, page that was um, Uh-oh. the... What, what, what is that? What is that quote in Star Wars? Never a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's like job postings one moment. Uh, remember the fallen another, and then things that I refuse to say uh, uh, <laughs> on a podcast. And, you know, so you know, so, yeah. so Christian and I kind of have seen, you know, uh, um, as far as a little a cyber connection as far as the, the, the full spectrum of the, uh, uh, the veteran society and how roller coaster. Uh, people, are roller coaster. people are complex. People are complex. And somebody who might have a deviated moral compass on Tuesday might save your life on Wednesday. When we start looking at regret, it's one of those things that'll eat your soul away if you continue letting it do that. I mean, it'll actually ruin your life. And I think in a lot of cases, we've seen individuals, as we've talked about it, where if you let it fester too long, actually start contemplating things that they shouldn't be thinking about, like taking their life or those types of things. And so I think it's really important that you deal with it, that you, if you have a sense of regret, that you talk about it. And I think that there are individuals out there that start talking about regret of the things that we described here, and it may end up taking over their entire life. And that's not a good thing um, because then it creates the stress that can truly cause different types of levels of anxiety or body harm or mental harm. Yeah. And, you know, I would like to tie in a closer is that, that um, as far as mission statements for writing a book, uh, it was extraordinarily cathartic. And, and uh, I feel a hundred times better for saying things that uh, I felt vulnerable putting uh, on the paper. And a lot of people have um, stated similar things. And uh, I, I agree with you completely, Robert, that one of the worst components of regret is that it, it's sort of like uh, a closed system where the pressure keeps building and building and building. And, and it, it's largely an illusion. It doesn't have to be there. But if somebody doesn't uh, find a productive outlet or the correct people to interact with is that we see some of the regrettable consequences that we've uh, dealt with for many years now. Where can people find your book at? No joy. You said Amazon is one of the places. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually having an issue uh, staying in stock with the paperback version. That's a pretty cool complaint to have. I, um, yeah, I ordered a thousand copies. I have a, <laughs> a signed copy that I'm willing to sell. If anybody's interested, hit me up. Scottlebot. Yeah, hit me up. I'll make you a killer deal. Uh, online. No joy, man. No joy. <laughs> online. Online. Check check the major retailers. You'll probably find it. And I appreciate it if you do. Yeah. Awesome. Where can they find you and follow if they want to follow you on social media? Is there some special way that they can do that as well? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, David Rose author, and Instagram, David Rose with little underscores as bookends because there's like 900 people with my name. Uh, I, probably the easiest way is if you type in David Rose, you'll see I'm followed by uh, 
Tasteless Gentleman. That's a big one. And um, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't post a lot. Uh, as as you guys know, before we started this, I couldn't even find or identify what an, what an Ethernet cable or cord or whatever is. So I'm not I'm not living really in the 21st century in some regards. But uh, if you hit me up, I will uh, I'll get around to replying. Well, <laughs> at least you come on podcast with your pants on, so I appreciate that. Yeah, let's yeah, not judge people. <laughs> I don't. I thought this was a judgment-free zone. I respect you, Christian. <laughs> I appreciate that. Just stay seated. It's all good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors the Number Four M I L. And please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device. And we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MentorsForMil or Mentors the number four MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.